morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God. His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. Thank you to the generous underwriters of Sharper Iron, the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. And Luther Classical College, a college for Lutherans by Lutherans, opening in fall 2025. Learn more at lutherclassical.org. On this Friday, May 12th, we are studying Revelation chapter 2, verses 8 to 11. In today's text, Jesus gives the second of seven letters that John is to write to the congregations in Asia Minor. This letter is addressed to the angel of the church in Smyrna. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us returning guest, the Reverend Dr. Christian Preuss. Pastor Preuss serves at Mount Hope Lutheran Church and School in Casper, Wyoming. He is also the chairman for the Board of Regents for Luther Classical College. Pastor Preuss, welcome back to Sharp Iron. Thank you. Glad to be on. Tell us a little bit about how things are going with Luther Classical College, Pastor Preuss. Yeah, things are going very well. Uh, we had some exciting news uh, recently that we made our, our first appointment uh, to our academic deans, so our, our first full-time faculty, and uh, that is uh, Dr. Ryan McPherson, uh, brilliant uh, teacher, uh, professor who's been at Bethany Lutheran College for the last 20 years and will help uh, lead our college forward. Uh, we're going to have a conference here soon in Casper, which I'm really excited for. It filled up. Uh, amazing that uh, so many people are willing to come out to uh, what most people consider the middle of nowhere, right? <laughs> Casper, <laughs> Wyoming. But it's going to be beautiful in early June, and uh, we have a number of great speakers um, uh, talking about the future, the bright future of uh, the Lutheran Church in the United States uh, amidst so much uh, doom and gloom, uh, you know, talk of churches uh, shrinking and uh, Christian uh, culture disappearing in our nation. Uh, we thought it would be a good idea to uh, uh, focus on the bright future that God has in store uh, for his faithful. And it always is a bright future because we have Christ and Christ is risen. Mm, he's risen indeed. Hallelujah. So that conference, that conference is full. Is there a way that people can tune in virtually online? Yes, actually there is. Yeah, you can go on our website, uh, lutherclassical.org, and you can still sign up for a, uh, a live uh, viewing of it. And uh, you can, I think it's, it's $10 maybe. Um, so yeah, you can still do that. But uh, yeah, we... We capped it at 250, and then there's a bunch of kids coming too. So it's going to be quite the time. I'm I'm really looking forward fantastic. to it. That's fantastic. Good kid kids coming to a, a conference that uh, at a college seems like a, a very good good idea. Exactly. Fantastic. Yep. Fantastic. So, Pastor Price, we get to talk about Revelation two today. One of the letters to the seven churches, just about the book of Revelation as a whole. Why is this an important book for Christians? How should we approach it? The book of Revelation as a whole. Well, it's an important book for Christians because it is written uh, out of the crucible. That is, there's a lot of persecution happening in uh, the church at this time. And Revelation is written as uh, a comfort um, to give the certainty of the gospel, 
of what has happened, that Christ has died and has risen, has conquered death, uh, and also then of the, uh, not only of the past, but also of the present, um, that he is still with his church, he's still speaking to his church, uh, he still protects his church, and then finally, uh, assurance of the future, uh, as he calls himself, uh, as Jesus is called in, in, in this um, book of Revelation, he is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the first and the last. And so he not only has controlled uh, the, the past uh, for the good of his church, but he also has the future in his hand. Uh, and you especially see this in these uh, first few chapters, especially in chapters two and three, where he's uh, talking to the churches in Asia Minor, um, which really sets the tone of the entire book of Revelation. Um, to what warn them uh, primarily of false doctrine, um, but also uh, of the persecutions that, that befall the Christian church, and that they not lose hope, that they, that they put uh, first things first, uh, and that is that they listen to the word of their uh, good shepherd, Jesus Christ, uh, and in the end they will receive the crown of life that will not fade away. Mm. So in terms of context, we haven't come too far in the book of Revelation. Chapter 1, John identified himself. He spoke of the vision of the glorified Son of Man. We've heard one of the letters to the churches already. We've got several coming up still. Is there any context, any, any particular passages that we've seen so far in the book of Revelation, or maybe that are coming, that'll help us as we think about the verses we've got today? Any context to bring out? Yeah, I think that it's, it's very important to realize that the book of Revelation— uh, is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Uh, so Jesus Christ is the author of this revelation. It's all coming from him. So sometimes we uh, uh, mistakenly think that this is like the revelation of John. Well, John saw the revelation, uh, but the author of it is actually Jesus Christ. He is the speaker, and he is the Lord of his church. Um, second is to uh, know that uh, John himself is under persecution uh, in exile, it appears, on the island of Patmos. Um, and so this is a time of persecution uh, in the church, and uh, this revelation, uh, which is given of, 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 of heaven, of things to come, uh, and of, of things on earth and, and for the church, is again given for the reassurance of the Christians, um, so that they know uh, Jesus is in charge, even in time of persecution. And especially as we uh, head into times of persecution ourselves uh, in uh, the 21st century, as we have a, a less and less Christian world and uh, um, perhaps a less uh, uh, friendly government to the Christian church, a lot of what uh, we the warnings and the encouragements that we see written to these churches apply very directly to to us. And th we're going to see that's especially the case in uh, the church uh, in Smyrna. Now, uh, there are seven churches that are written to. There are only two who aren't criticized. Only two who aren't criticized. And the, the other ones are criticized by uh, Jesus. <laughs> and, and he says, I have a few things against you, or I have this against you because you've done this and this and this. And invariably, it's because they have uh, succumbed to false doctrine and or they have succumbed to uh, immoral living. And if you read through these seven, um, the, the, the letters to this, the letter to the seven churches, you'll see very obviously that you as a Christian want to be 
Uh, you know, if you were to say, "Hey, which church would I want to belong to? Which church is is is, is which churches here are the, are the great churches, the ones um, that are um, you know examples for us?" It's going to be uh, Smyrna, one of them, and the other one is uh, Philadelphia, I believe, right? Um, and uh, both of them are persecuted churches. They're the persecuted churches, <laughs> and uh, all because the, the other all the other ones have compromised. So uh, this is a beautiful lesson for us to realize that uh, this is like the dichotomy, uh, the choice that we're given in, in scriptures. Either you uh, stand firm on the word of God and you get persecuted by the world, uh, or you compromise and then uh, risk losing uh, the treasure that is Jesus Christ. And um, reading through uh, Revelation 2 and 3, uh, your Christian spirit will rise up in you to say, oh no, I do not want the Lord of the church, my Lord Jesus Christ, saying, I have a few things against you because I because you've been unfaithful in this or that. Rather, you'd much rather hear him give you the encouragement to say, uh, you know, you, yes, you're going to be persecuted and I know that it's going to happen um, and I will be with you always to the end of the age. Hmm. Well, so I... I think that that's an important point to see that in our letter today, there's not going to be that phrase, I have this and that against you, as we heard already in the first letter to the church in Ephesus, and that we'll hear again. At the same time, the church in Smyrna didn't only receive the verses that we're going to read and study today. The church in Smyrna got to read all of these letters, and I think that's—and vice versa, so that the churches who had—the Lord had something against them got to hear of these churches where there wasn't that— that on the one hand, those churches that are commended by the Lord then get to still hear the warnings of the danger that's out there for them. And those churches that had the Lord had something against them also get to see the result of faithfulness in the other churches. If they had only gotten the one letter, for example, the church in Smyrna perhaps could have been become puffed up with pride. The church in Ephesus perhaps could have been driven to despair if if that's all they got. But they each get to hear all the letters. And I think there's there's comfort in that. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, just as we, no matter what's going on in our individual uh, congregations, uh, can read these uh, and uh, apply them to ourselves, um, so also the churches then um, could say, hey, uh, look at what Smyrna, look at what, look at what the church, the saints in Smyrna have had to put up with, um, and look how they are commended by our Lord for standing firm on the word of God. And isn't it true that we would rather suffer um, the world's anger than to be told, I have a few things against you. And um, and, the, and there's always encouragement, of course, in all of these letters, um, or, uh, like he who has an ear, let him hear. Um, that's always the case. It's not like, hey, you've, <laughs> there's still churches of God, even, even if they've right. sinned, right? It's like the letter to the Galatians where they've, <laughs> compromised on the gospel and they've listened to the false teachers and yet uh paul still even though he's he he definitely um uh, chastises them thoroughly calls them names even oh foolish galatians who has bewitched you and yet uh he calls them brothers uh, and christians and so you can have rebuke and encouragement at the at the very same time That's right. That's right. Let's go ahead and take a look at the letter that is given to the church in Smyrna. This is Revelation 2, beginning at verse 8. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, 
the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich, and the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. That's our text for today, the letter to the church in Smyrna, Revelation 2, verses 8 to 11. Pastor Price, each of these seven letters is addressed to the angel of the church. And we've talked about this, but I'm curious on your thoughts. Who is the angel of the church in each case? What do you think? The angel of the church, um, angel just means a uh, uh, messenger. And um, this I've always taken to be the, the pastor of the church. Um, yeah. And I think this is a wonderful way to realize what, 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 what a pastor is, how a pastor is talked about in the New Testament. Sometimes a pastor is called an elder. Sometimes a pastor is called a pastor that is a shepherd. Uh, the word pastor is just Latin for uh, shepherd. And if you look at the way Jesus talks about his pastors, uh, he says, whoever hears you, hears me, so long as you're speaking uh, Christ's word. And the same thing when he says, my sheep hear my voice. Well, none of us alive, at least I haven't, um, heard directly Jesus speaking from heaven. Um, and yet I have heard the voice of Jesus speak to me through my pastor. Uh, and of course, through his, uh, the reading of Holy Scripture. And so when we realize that pastors are supposed to be, they're sent to be actually mouthpieces, messengers uh, of God, then uh, we see why they'd be called angels of the church in Smyrna. That is, they're not to speak their own word, they are to speak the word of God. Just as when the angels, whenever the angels appear in Holy Scripture, they're always speaking God's word. They have no word of their own to speak. <laughs> it's, it's, it's unthinkable for them. Uh, they're simply messengers uh, of God. So also, so also pastors are to be not speaking their own word, but the word of the good shepherd. Um, and that is, that is a perfect word uh, and a word that uh, the sheep uh, of the good shepherd recognize. Mm. Yeah, that, that's what we've primarily said all along when it comes to these angels initially in the book of Revelation. There will be other angels in the book of Revelation that are angels in the way that we normally use that English word, but I, I think you're exactly right that these angels of the churches that receive these letters are the pastors, so the Lord writes his letter to them, and they are to deliver them those letters faithfully to the congregations under their care. This is to the angel of the church in Smyrna. Last time we looked at the letter to the church in Ephesus, and we know a little bit more about the city of Ephesus, both scripturally and historically. I'm not as familiar with Smyrna. Is there anything in particular about Smyrna as a, a city in the ancient world that, that would help us as we look at this letter? Yeah, uh, Smyrna has a, has a very long history. Um, it's just north of Ephesus. It's a, it's a, a very strategic uh, uh, city because it's got a good port. Um, and so it was fought over a lot um, in the ancient world. Uh, at this time, right, it's under Roman control. And actually, Smyrna was the first provincial city uh, to uh, erect a, a temple to Roma Dea, so the, the goddess Roma, right? So um, what that tells you is that very quickly... Um, it wanted to show its obedience to Rome, its fealty uh, to Caesar, uh, whom then 
the residents of Smyrna would acknowledge as Lord and Savior. Right? So that's the way that's the way it worked in the Roman Empire. Um, the cult of the emperor became extremely important. If you think about it this way, that you've got um, a government that runs out of Rome, and yet out of Rome, they're controlling all of the Mediterranean, all of the known world. And um, they have to they have to get all of these different nations to pledge some sort of fealty to them. Well, what's the best way of doing that? Well, when you live in a polytheistic culture, you might as well just say that your uh, emperor is uh, a god. And then, so they, they set up the uh, Roman cult of the emperor, and they, you just add another god to the pantheon. Remember, these pe people are, are used to worshiping all sorts of gods, so you add Caesar uh, to their pantheon, their their number of gods. And uh, Smyrna uh, adopted this very quickly and very enthusiastically, and and, and we know this from uh, its uh, the, the temples that it erected. So that, that means that any uh, worship of a god um, who is exclusive, who says, no, I am the only Lord, there is none other, which of course is the Christian God, which of course is Jesus, uh, is going to meet with a lot of opposition in the city of Smyrna. And we, in fact, see this. So uh, one of the first um, uh, martyrs uh, of the Christian church in the second century, of course, we have all sorts of martyrs, all the, almost all the apostles were martyred, um, uh, was uh, Polycarp, Bishop of Smyrna. And Polycarp was actually a disciple of St. John and had a very long um, a ministry there in Smyrna as bishop, and uh, around 155, he was uh, put to death. And you see, actually, um, in the martyrdom of Polycarp, the same sort of uh, things that you see going on in chapter 2 of Revelation, and that is that the government is against the Christians. So uh, they accused Polycarp of being an atheist, and what that means is that he uh, denied the gods, right? The plural gods, because he confessed only one God, and that is uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, and uh, 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 actually, Polycarp makes a very beautiful confession of, of the Trinity uh, in his uh, last great prayer before he dies, um, where he calls on the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, and you, you see just how, how uh, the faith that we confess is exactly the faith that uh, Bishop uh, Polycarp, the pastor of Smyrna, uh, gave. He was 86 years old when they uh, put him to death. And they said to him, um, they, said, they said, you know, deny the Lord Jesus and you will live. And he says, for 86 years I have served this Lord and he has done me no wrong. How can I deny him now? So, so beautiful. But what happens there is in Smyrna, you've got a large Jewish population and the Jews are actually kind of like co-opted in or grandfathered in, uh, I should say, uh, to the system. They're the only ones allowed to say, hey, we've got one God, we're not worshiping your false gods. The Christians aren't allowed to do that. The Jews are. Uh, and so you probably have like 20% Jew 
uh, Jewish population in the city of Smyrna. And then you've got this other population of pagans who are very committed to Rome. And each group absolutely despises the Christians uh, for, uh, for their own reasons. Um, and so that, that carries on all the way to uh, Polycarp, um, who again is martyred in 155. And the same thing is going on right now when uh, St. John writes this uh, letter, maybe uh, 100 years earlier. Mm, well, that's fantastic context. And it really, really adds flavor to perhaps the most famous verse from this section, which we'll talk about the end of verse 10, be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. Hearing about what happened to Polycarp and his confession really puts some, I mean, adds color to those words of Jesus that we hear so often. So the angel of the church in Samaritan is to write from Jesus. Jesus identifies himself, the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. Talk about this identification that Jesus makes of himself here. Yeah, so the first and the last, that he is, uh, the, he is the eternal. Uh, he, uh, he comes from eternity, uh, and from him all things come. Uh, this is what we confess in the Nicene Creed, by whom all things were made. And then he is the last. He is, uh, uh, he is eternal also uh, into the future, if we can talk that way. Uh, and therefore, he is the one who has all control. And then immediately you're, you're told how he exercises this control, that he is the one who lives and uh, who had uh, died. So uh, he exercises this control over his church and really over, through, uh, over, over all the world by his death and his resurrection, the power of his resurrection, that he has actually uh, conquered death and the powers of hell. So this, is, uh, this identification of Jesus right at the beginning is to give them uh, the assurance that they need, that Jesus uh, loves them, he's laid down his life for them, and also that he has the eternal power and the power of his resurrection to preserve them uh, body and soul to eternal life so that they do not have to fear uh, the, the coming persecution that he's going to be talking about. So Jesus is the first and the last who died and came to life, and then he says to the church, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich, and the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. So Jesus, maybe we'll just start with the verb, Jesus knows. <laughs> Talk about the comfort of Jesus simply knowing his church. I think you quoted from John 10 earlier, the, the voice of the good shepherd within that same passage, Jesus says he knows his own. Talk about the, the knowledge of Jesus and the comfort that is. Yeah, absolutely. I just, I heard uh, a great sermon on this uh, recently by my uh, associate pastor, uh, Pastor Andy Richard, where he pointed out that Jesus says, uh, I know my own, right? I know my sheep. Uh, but he says, just as the father knows me, so I know my own. And if you think about how the Father knows the Son, this is the most intimate knowledge imaginable. It's an eternal love. And so Jesus knows us in this way, right? With an eternal love and with such an intimate knowledge because we are his body. Uh, as the Father and I are one, right? So the church and, 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 and Christ are one, is, is what Jesus will say later. And uh, to realize the, the beautiful mystery of uh, what we call the mystical union, that we are uh, the body of Christ. We belong to him. We've been joined to him. Um, there is a, a church father I read uh, recently 
who said, you know, via his uh, baptism, he had been joined to Christ. And so it's no longer he who lives, but Christ who lives in me. And then he starts talking to the devil and he says, so you devil, don't you dare tempt me. Instead, bow down and worship me. <laughs> and you, you get the point there. Obviously not saying that, um, uh, you know, that, that we, are, we are God, but that we have been joined to Christ. Don't you dare, don't you dare devil come and attack me. Do you know who I am, what my identity is? I, I, I am one with Jesus Christ. And so it's this deep, deep knowledge that uh, Jesus has of his own, that we are totally joined to him. And you see the same sort of knowledge uh, all over, expressed all over in scripture. Uh, we mentioned John 10, but we could go to Ephesians 5. Uh, once again, in the context of uh, Jesus laying down uh, his life for his church, and he says, no man ever uh, you know, uh, hated his own body, but takes care of it. And so also Jesus, Jesus knows his body, takes care of his body, knows exactly, uh, what it needs. Uh, and it's, it's, it's a perfect knowledge. Um, our head, our head knows exactly what the body needs. Like sometimes our heads don't know what our bodies need, right? We do stupid things, right? And uh, abuse our bodies, uh, put the wrong things in them or don't exercise and so forth. Um, and we pay for it, but Jesus knows exactly what his body needs. And if that is the exercise of persecution, if it, if it is the food of sorrows for a time, uh, then, then wonderful. That's that the head knows what his body needs. And so we can take, uh, we can take great comfort, uh, in knowing that whatever the church goes through, so long as we are faithful to Jesus word, um, he is only exercising his body to make it stronger, uh, uh, for everlasting life. Jesus knows his church perfectly. What a fantastic comfort that is. It was a comfort to the church in Smyrna, and it remains a comfort to us. We're going to keep looking at this letter on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron on KFUO. We're talking to Pastor Christian Preuss this morning about Revelation 2. We will be right back. Please stick around. Did you know that Lutherans are helping new American immigrants get settled? How about struggling church workers in need of support and refreshment? And we assist at-risk children and provide disaster response to hurricane victims. Through LCMS recognized service organizations, we are doing all this and more. I'm Rahema Kavuga of Lutheran Church Extension Fund, and I don't want you to miss out on hearing what your brothers and sisters in Christ are up to. Visit interesttime.org to see how your support gives life to these works of mercy and love. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Friday, May 12th. We're studying Revelation chapter 2, verses 8 to 11 with the Reverend Dr. Christian Preuss. He serves at Mount Hope Lutheran Church and School in Casper, Wyoming, and is also the chair for the Board of Regents for Luther Classical College. Pastor Preuss, prior to the break, we were talking about Jesus' intimate knowledge of his own sheep. And here in verse 9 of our text, he says, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And then also the slander of those who say they are Jews, but are not. In fact, they are a synagogue of Satan. Talk about each one of these things that Jesus knows about his people there in Smyrna. Yeah, so they're, they're definitely connected. The, the, the tribulations that they are receiving are uh, persecutions um, uh, that have to do with their body and their, and their possessions. And this is why he connects the tribulations with, with poverty. They have literally become uh, poor. Um, by confiscation of, of land. 
um, and assets. Uh, so this is uh, what the government uh, began to do uh, to Christians to confiscate their land uh, because they refused to uh, give uh, the proper obedience, and that meant worship again uh, of Caesar. And so it's it, it it is an open persecution. You see this open persecution by uh, the the pagan government of the Romans. Um, and this is going to come up again and again and again in the book of Revelation um, that uh, Rome be- has become this, uh, this Babylon uh, that is persecuting uh, the Christian church. Now, a lot of people uh, say that, well, the, the persecution of the Christian church was, uh, was scattered, um, that it wasn't uh, centralized. Well, at certain points, it was very much centralized, especially under uh, Nero. Um, and also, uh, to say it's scattered just means that <laughs> the Roman Empire is a scattered place. There's a whole bunch of cities all over the place, and uh, sometimes you're going to have uh, uh, you're going to have uh, certain governors um, who are uh, more uh, more zealous to persecute the Christian church than others. And in Smyrna, you definitely have that. So uh, they are literally poor. They're losing their property because they are confessing Christ. They have the choice between keeping their houses uh, and sometimes their jobs um, and uh, confessing Christ. And they have, under this persecution, been willing to lose everything. And that's why when he says, you are, I know your poverty, that is, I know your material poverty. And then he puts in parentheses, though you are rich, uh, because he's telling them what they already know, because they've already suffered for it, but then they do need to hear it. Like, of course, of course, the Christian spirit is going to say, yes, I would give up everything in order to have Christ. He is my priceless treasure. Um, we sing this in, in, in all sorts of hymns. Um, but at the same time, we need to be reminded of it um, uh, by our Lord Jesus Christ that uh, because it does sting, it does hurt. The poverty does hurt. Um, and the loss of reputation does hurt. And so when we are reminded again and again, no, your true riches are in having Jesus Christ. You have the one who created all things. You have the one who is sinless and shares his sinlessness, sinlessness with you. You have the one who gives you everlasting life. There is no greater uh, riches than the righteousness of Jesus, than a pure conscience. And so he's, he reminds them of that. And the second persecution that they are facing, uh, if it wasn't enough to be persecuted by uh, the government itself, that is the pagan government, the Roman government, um, is the persecution from the Jews. And... Um, the, the Jews had uh, about 20%, again, of the population in the Roman Empire. That's, that's the estimate. And in certain cities like Smyrna, uh, they would have been uh, a heavy minority, which means they have, uh, uh, they have power. Um, they have political clout. Um, and we see this all throughout the book of Acts. Um, the book of Acts uh, tells us that St. Paul goes uh, on his missionary journeys, and he'll go from city to city, and uh, of course, some of the he'll always start in a synagogue, which means a, syn- a synagogue is, is where the Jews meet. Um, it's 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 like their chapel, and so the, the the Jews meet there at the synagogue, and Paul preaches Jesus to them um, as, as uh, Jesus commands that you go first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. And Saint Paul says Christ uh, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile, um, and then uh, the leaders of the Jews. So some of the Jews obviously uh, convert. Uh, um, at the, 
I shouldn't say, well, yeah, they convert to Christianity. That is, they stay true to the true Jewish faith, which is, uh, which is what the Old Testament teaches, uh, that is, that Christ will come uh, in, in the person of Jesus. And, uh, but most of, of the Jews, especially the leadership, end up persecuting uh, violently uh, St. Paul. So that he has to, usually when he leaves a town, it is not because he's just like, okay, time's up here. Um, I've done my job. It's rather because he gets chased out and he gets chased out by the Jewish leaders. Um, and the, probably the, the greatest example of this is, I think it's Acts 14, um, when he goes to, to Lystra, uh, which again is another city in, in, in Asia Minor. Uh, St. Paul goes to Lystra and there he's, he's welcomed as a god. He and Barnabas are welcomed as gods uh, in the city of Lystra. Uh, Paul is thought to be uh, Hermes because he talks so much. He's, a, he's the messenger of the gods. And then um, Barnabas is thought to be Zeus because he's not talking as much. And so they, they, they want to worship him. And so you see the pagan influence there. But then later on, um, the, the Jews come in. They chase after they chase after Paul, and then they get him stoned. So you see that even though there's not a big Jewish population in Lystra, the Jews come from elsewhere and so persuade the pagan government there to persecute the, uh, the Christians. And so this double persecution then ends up working in tandem that the Jews influence the government against the Christians. And when um, Jesus says, I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not. He's saying uh, quintessentially Christian, uh, 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 Christian confession. And, and this is exactly what we get from the book of, of Galatians also. And that is that those are, and, and the book of Romans, those are the true Israel uh, who confess Jesus Christ. Um, uh, the, the true Israel have always been those of, of faith. Um, those who, who trust in the coming Christ. It has not been about, it has never been about simply blood. Because you could become an Israelite uh, even if you were uh, a Hittite like Uriah. You could become an Israelite even uh, if you were uh, a Canaanite prostitute, right? Uh, like Rahab. So, um, and, and Jesus himself, uh, or St. John the Baptist actually says that don't, don't uh, assure yourselves that, hey, we are children of Abraham because God can raise up children of Abraham from these stones. So what we need to realize that it's, it, is that it's always to say, I am a Jew or I am an Israelite was always to say, uh, the way God wanted it was always to say, I believe in the promises of God. I believe in the promises concerning Jesus Christ. So when Jesus says here to the church of Smyrna, don't, I know the blasphemy. I know the blasphemy of the Jews who say they're Jews and are not. He's saying they're fake. It's hypocritical. Don't worry about their persecution. Don't worry about their claims to some ancestry. Uh, you, have, you have Jesus. You are the true Israel because you trust in Jesus, who is the very seed promised to Abraham. So when they boast of Abraham, you boast of the promised seed that is, uh, that, that is Jesus Christ, who comes from the line of Isaac, uh, and not from the line of Ishmael. And so then when he calls that those Jews who say they are, but are truly not, in fact, they're a synagogue of Satan, that's pretty much the same thing that Jesus says in John chapter 8 to those Jews who would not believe in him when he calls them children of the devil. It's a similar similar idea. Yeah, 100%. Uh, because, and again, who does Jesus bring up in John 8? He brings up Abraham. 
Well, they bring up Abraham. They say, we're children of Abraham. And Jesus responds and says, well, I mean, Abraham believed in me. And then he finally says, before Abraham was, I am, which is the greatest bad grammar in all of, uh, all of the Bible. I don't know how the Jehovah's Witnesses or any of these liberal critics who like try to deny the Trinity or the divinity of Jesus get around John chapter 8, where he says, before Abraham was, I am, in the present tense, because I am, of course, is the name of God. Um, and so Jesus is very clearly, and they know it, because that's why they uh, pick up stones to stone him, uh, making the claim that he is the eternal God, the God of Abraham. Uh, but yeah, absolutely. Those who persecute Christ, it doesn't matter if they are Jew uh, or, or Gentile, um, they cannot claim to be the people of God. Uh, to blaspheme is to say words against, is to say words against Jesus. Um, this is the entire claim of the book of, of John and what captures our hearts. It's, it's funny that one of the most comforting passages, the most beloved passages in all of Scripture is John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And yet, even though this is so comforting to us, it is the most exclusive of passages. No one comes to the Father. No one knows God. No one knows how to talk about God outside of the Son, Jesus Christ. And that is uh, the great offense of the gospel uh, that the, the, the Jewish leadership and uh, the, uh, the pagan leadership took such offense at. Uh, and here Jesus says, don't worry about it. I know. I know about it. And um, uh, I'll, I'll be with you. Yeah. So, so he knows this suffering from both sides. And in verse 10, he says, don't, don't be afraid. Don't fear. This is the, uh, the comfort that Jesus has. Don't fear. He tells them what they're about to suffer. The devil's going to throw some of them into prison. They'll be tested. For 10 days, they'll have tribulation. Let's, let's take that first half of verse 10 as to what Jesus says is coming that they don't need to fear. Yeah, so when he says don't fear, it's in, it's in the present tense, uh, which suggests that they are fearing already, um, which, you know, you don't need to know Greek uh, to figure that one out. Um, they're already afraid. They've already, <laughs> they've already lost their, uh, th their land and so forth. Um, again, when he says um, they, they claim they're Jews, but they're really the synagogue of Satan, there is a literal synagogue there, probably multiple synagogues there in Smyrna, and they've been kicked out of it. Right, um, and so they see it. They see um, that uh, they felt the persecution. They felt the ostracism. They felt the loss of property, the loss of jobs, the loss of prestige. So they already have known this fear, and he's basically saying, "Do not fear. Oh, it's going to get worse, because <laughs> because now not only are they going to take your stuff, but they're going to throw you uh, into uh, in, into prison." Um, and again, uh, we talked already of Polycarp of Smyrna, but uh, he was, um, I believe, the 13th uh, prominent man in Smyrna uh, in 155 to be put to death. Uh, there's a younger man, Germanicus, who was put to death uh, immediately before him, and there were several before that. And so history actually um, confirms uh, this prophecy. Isn't this wonderful that uh, we, we have historical accounts? And by the way, that... That account of Polycarp Smyrna, I'd encourage your listeners uh, uh, to read it. It's not, it's not very long, and it is an eyewitness account. They saw it, they witnessed it, wrote it down. Um, uh, the the guesstimate is that it was it was written about 165 years after um, uh, Polycarp was uh, was murdered. 
and uh, was 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 put to death. So, um, the the, uh, the the persecution has happened exactly as uh, uh, Revelation uh, two here predicted it would happen. It did happen in history, um, and we and we have the documents uh, to show it, which is a beautiful thing uh, that should uh, again uh, assure us of what we know. Um, uh, in reading scripture, that we are reading the very word of God uh, that does not fail. The word of the Lord endures forever. And note that he says the devil is about to throw them into prison. And uh, we have to realize this is what St. Paul says, but it's the way uh, uh, Jesus talks also, um, that uh, the devil is the one who is at work, even when we see uh, uh, you know, physical uh, entities, physical people persecuting the church of God. So when a government persecutes the church, let's say it says, hey, you can't meet. We won't allow you to meet. Um, uh, we, we, we will close your church uh, down if you try to meet, for whatever reason that is. I mean, everybody can uh, think of COVID uh, when that actually did happen in some states, but you could also uh, think of all sorts of other situations where the government could do this. What this tells us is that that is the, 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 the devil, right? Um, uh, who is working against uh, the church of God. So he works, the devil works not only uh, through the teaching of false doctrine, but also through the open uh, persecution of Christ's church. And his aim is always to silence, to silence the word of God and to keep the people of God uh, from meeting uh, together in, in peace to receive uh, the Lord's body and blood. When Jesus says that it will be for 10 days, they will have tribulation. Is there a significance to the 10 days that the tribulation will last? Yes, absolutely. So 10 days, um, numbers in Revelation are, are, are symbolic. And 10 days is a short time. It's also a perfect time. So 10 is, uh, is, is a perfect number. And so what that does is it assures you that uh, God's in control. Right? Uh, if it were like six days or uh, nine days, we might have a, <laughs> we might have a problem um, because then it, it seems like it's out of God's control. But ten days is in God's perfect time, and uh, the reason it's ten days and uh, not say a hundred, which would also be a perfect number, ten times ten, or a thousand, which is uh, even more of a perfect number, ten times ten times ten. Um, the reason it's only 10 days and not 10 years, for instance, uh, is to say that it, it is a short time. Um, now, a short time for God um, is not always a short time for us. Um, uh, but the, the, the point is that the persecution will uh, finally end in God's good time. And he will be, he will be uh, in charge throughout it all, even though it looks, it looks like uh, uh, the devil has gained control. Um, Again, he says that there's a, a purpose for it, that you may be tested, that you may be tested. God does not uh, tempt, but he does test. Uh, uh, the devil tempts in order to get us to sin. God tests in order to bring us uh, closer to him and to run to his word and to pray to him uh, in time of, of trouble so that in the end, uh, what is more precious than gold or silver or anything else we own, that, and that is the genuineness of our faith, uh, can be tested, can be confirmed uh, to, uh, to the glory uh, of Christ's church. So that 10 days 
is um, is to let them know that there, there's a time limit set to it and that this is in God's control uh, and that they need endure only a little while, as, as Jesus says to his, his disciples, a little while. And Jesus then follows that with a beautiful promise, be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. I know many people who've received this as a confirmation verse. Talk about Jesus' beautiful promise there at the end of Revelation 2.10. Yeah, being faithful, faithful until until death is uh, the the mission that we're given uh, uh, by virtue of our baptism. It is our great goal, and we need to live this way. Um, this is Jesus' encouragement, uh, not only to, to the Church of Smyrna, but to us. Uh, this is how we are to live. The great goal of my life. I have all sorts of goals. Uh, I'm ambitious. I and I know that. Like I'm I'm starting a college. Uh, or I'm one of many starting a college and so forth. I have all sorts of ambitions. But the only real ambition that matters is to be faithful unto death, is to be, is to be a Christian. So if, if you have the ambition of having some great career, the ambition um, of making uh, your millions of dollars, the ambition of having a lake cabin, or the ambition of uh, being the president of the United States, whatever that ambition is, uh, I know plenty of like seventh and eighth graders right now who have the ambition, even though they're like five four, of being NBA stars. Um, uh, whatever those ambitions are, they need to be subjected. They need to be put under the great ambition of your life, which is to remain faithful to the Lord Jesus. There is simply no greater calling that you have, and it's, it's again the calling of your baptism to remain faithful as He has been faithful to you. And when we live life like that, it is such a rewarding life because. Uh, nothing is the end of the world. <laughs> right? Nothing can happen to us where it's like, oh, no, my life is ruined. What do you mean your life is ruined? Your life is in Christ. Isn't that your great ambition? And you still have it. And it's greater than anything else in life that you could possibly gain. So even if all of the rest of your endeavors failed, you would still have uh, more than the world itself because you, you have Jesus. So you make Jesus an eternal life with him, faithfulness to him and to his word, your ambition, and you will simply never be disappointed. And you'll see uh, uh, also like the, the, the power of prayer. You'll see that your prayers are answered uh, because you won't be praying mainly for uh, earthly things. You'll be praying for spiritual things and God continues to give it. He gives you strength uh, through his word. And in the end, the crown of life uh, that does not uh, fade away. Like everything else in this life fades away. Um, but Jesus, Jesus, uh, gift of eternal life, the forgiveness of sins, uh, to be, to be, uh, to see him as he really is, uh, in heaven forever to, uh, have, uh, the resurrected body that is conformed to his body as he promises these things, uh, last forever and ever. Mm, yeah, the, the riches that the church in Smyrna has, that will last much longer than any 10-day imprisonment that Jesus has said will come. The crown of life is his gift forever. Then Jesus concludes, as we've heard it before and we will hear again, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Talk briefly about the, the one who has the ear to hear what the Spirit says. Yeah, so this is exactly how Jesus talks uh, uh, in, in the Gospels. Um, so in, in his earthly ministry, uh, he constantly said this, uh, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear. And he speaks it now still to, uh, to his church. Um, the, 
the, the fact is, uh, we stress as Lutherans that we are, uh, oh, I believe that I cannot, by my own reason or strength, believe in Jesus Christ, my Lord, or come to him. But the Holy Spirit has called me by the gospel, enlightened me with his gifts, sanctified and kept me in the one true faith. Now, uh, so we, we, we confess that we cannot, by our own reason or strength, believe in Jesus Christ, our Lord, or come to him. We're simply incapable of it. Um, however, when God gives us his spirit, calls us to himself, he does enlighten us. And it is our, uh, our job uh, as Christians then to apply our ear to the word of God. That is not to reject the, uh, the spirit who is in us, who is constantly yearning to hear the word of God. And so uh, Jesus reminds us of this constantly. Um, Use the gift that I gave you. Um, I've given you, I've given you my own spirit. Uh, I have, I, I, I've made you alive, uh, uh, it, uh, spiritually, uh, in order that you may hear the word of God. So, so live in it, apply it, uh, use the ear that I gave you, uh, by your conversion, by your baptism and, uh, realize then that the one who speaks is, uh, this spirit, um, uh, who continues to speak to the churches and he speaks through uh, through his word. Jesus concludes this letter by saying, the one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. So who is the one who conquers, and what does it mean to be protected from the second death? So he who conquers, he who overcomes, is the Christian who, uh, in the end, dies in the faith, which again is our ambition, uh, is uh, to remain faithful until, until death. And... Um, he's not going to be hurt by the second death. That is, he's not going to be uh, harmed, affected at all by uh, the condemnation of hell. Um, so death is not, um, you know, the, 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 the earthly death that we die is, is not to be feared uh, because we have already died uh, in baptism. We've already risen again uh, with Christ uh, and our life is with him. Um, so the, <laughs> uh, death has already uh, death has already been conquered um, by Christ in His death and resurrection, and then that, that we have been joined to it in in our baptism. So it's just been given to us. So we've already died, uh, and 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 when we remain faithful unto death um, uh, through the hearing of God's uh, of Christ's word uh, through faith in Him. Um, then the second death simply has no power over us. Uh, not even the fear of it has power over us. Instead, we can and we should often uh, look forward to the, the heaven, the eternal life, the resurrection, the sinlessness, the sight of God um, that, uh, that uh, is, is before us, this crown of life, um, because it's going to be greater than anything we have uh, here on this earth. And in a sense then, um, we can we can look forward not to our death, but what comes after it. Um, and uh, this is what we pray when we pray, deliver us from evil. That in the end, God will give us a blessed death and take us from this valley of sorrow to Himself in heaven. Again, that's our goal, that's our ambition. And in a sense, we can't wait till it comes. Hmm. Now, yeah. if if I may just say one more word on that, sure. That uh, the 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 martyrs um, of the ancient church they actually had to be warned. Don't be too anxious to die and go to heaven, right? Like God has, God has a uh, a plan for you here on this earth, and you're not simply just throw yourself to the lions or throw yourself uh, into the pyre uh, in the Colosseum. Um, but um, this was the attitude of the 
of, of the uh, early Christians. They were very eager to see their Lord Jesus. And again, if you read the, the martyrdom of Polycarp of Smyrna, you'll see um, he, he can't wait. He has no regrets. Got about two minutes here on the morning, Pastor Preuss. Reflecting on this letter to the church in Smyrna, you talked about earlier that this is one of the churches that Jesus does not say, I have something against. So thinking about the church today, how, how is this letter an encouragement, a call to repentance, a comfort? How, how do we as Christians take this letter today? Yeah, absolutely. So the, the great thing about the Bible uh, and, and this letter in particular is that it's always, it's always applicable. Um, and that the same persecutions that the Christian church suffered back then are also being, uh, are, are also uh, being suffered by us today. And uh, the persecution that we face uh, might look a bit different. Like we don't have a Roman government that is, um, you know, rounding up Christians and then burning them alive um, in a stadium as the, as the crowds raucously yell, um, um, you know, uh, kill him, kill him. Uh, that's that's not happening to us and we don't have um you know this uh large uh, uh jewish population that you know uh that is uh um you know where the, where the leadership are going after the apostles and so forth right that, that we're not in that time period however uh we do have persecution and again it is twofold we have simply enemies who hate our theology um and they are uh willing to um uh, you know uh, take our, 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 our property away um, and take uh, our reputation away um, if we um, confess the truth. And I think this does keep people from confessing the truth quite a bit uh, in the church today. Maybe not so much out of fear of losing property like that. I don't know if that's happening right now. I'm not afraid of it. However, um, standing up and saying that a man is a man and a woman is a woman, saying it out loud will get you uh, and, and that marriage is between one man and one woman, so forth and so on, um, will get you the persecution, the ire of people uh, in our day. And it's remarkable how often people uh, who like claim to be Christians um, uh, will uh, flounder on this. I'll give you just uh, one example here. And that is I was listening to the radio yesterday and uh, on, on the way to work and uh, Glenn Beck came on. Now, Glenn Beck claims to be a Christian. Of course, he's a Mormon, so he's not a Christian. But um, he claims to be a Christian, and he's very vocal about it, and to be a conservative Christian. And he says, well, I've got nothing against uh, people coming out as transgender. I just don't want it taught to the children. Now, this is exactly the sort of thing that pastors and Christian people are, um, are, are, are like cowed into saying. Like, I've got nothing against people coming out as trans, transgender. Yes, you do. If, if you don't, then why wouldn't you want to talk to children? I don't, I, I, I don't understand. Evil, either it's evil and it shouldn't be taught to your children, or it's good and it should be taught to your children. Uh, so in other words, we need to, to realize that the battle is between good and evil. It remains that way. When Jesus talks about the synagogue of Satan, right? When he's talking about the devil persecuting, he means it. He doesn't talk in terms of neutrality. Mm -hmm. There are evil forces and we cannot give an inch to these evil forces. And the, the church in Smyrna didn't give an inch. They were willing to lose everything, reputation, property, even their own lives. 
Uh, and so we don't give an inch either. Um, uh, when, when Jesus says it is truth, it's truth, we confess it, and Jesus will bless us. And not only that, he'll give us uh, the happiness uh, in this life and in the world to come that the world simply can't give. Hmm. Yeah, be faithful unto death. Jesus will give the crown of life. Pastor Christian Preuss serves at Mount Hope Lutheran Church and School in Casper, Wyoming. He's also the chairman for the Board of Regents for Luther Classical College. He's been helping us today to study Revelation chapter 2, verses 8 to 11. Pastor Preuss, thanks for being our guest today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. If you have any questions about our text today, please send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. It's always a pleasure to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again next week.